Another thing that I would float out there as a possibility is that you don't have to go to the track to do speed workouts, to do track workouts, you know? Diz Runs Radio, episode 744, starts in three, two, Welcome back to Diz Runs Radio, where I talk with runners from all corners of the running world about running, life, and everything in between. I'm your host, Denny Cray, and it's just about time to head out the door for an easy run and a great conversation. So if you're ready, then I'm ready. Let's get started. Hey guys, well, here we are at the end of June, which means it's a uh, halfway point, the mid, the midway point, plus or minus a day of, uh, of the year, six months down, six months to go in 2019. How is your year going so far? I hope that, uh, things are off to a good start, that you're still on track with your goals, that things are really moving in the right direction for you. If they're, if they're not, if uh, this, this first half of the year hasn't been everything that you hoped for in terms of your running goals and, and your ambitions for this year, hey, now is the time to either do what you got to do to get back on track, maybe shift your focus, shift your goals to be something a little bit different, aim for a different target, something that uh, maybe, you know, maybe the big goals would have taken a year to get to, something went sideways, you're not there right now. Well, shift your target. What can you do to make the last six months of 2019 just you know as good as they can possibly be moving you towards some of your goals that are much bigger than just this year? What can you do to move towards that new PR, that new race distance, that, that big goal that you're searching for? Figure it out, identify it, and make it happen over these last six months, all right? If, if things have gone sideways, don't just say, all oh, the hell with it for this year. No, 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 no. Get back on track. And now let's get moving towards your goals. Uh, before we get into this month's Q and A, um, got a little something, something that I'm going to float out there. I'm going to be floating this out there a lot over the next month or so. Uh, not a not a specific sponsor, but uh, as you may remember, I am uh, running the Goofy Challenge this year uh, at Walt Disney World, and well, actually next year. Right next year, January 2020, I'll be running the Goofy Challenge at Walt Disney World, which is the, the, the half marathon on Saturday, followed by the full marathon on Sunday. And uh, not only am I doing it, but I'm doing it for a cause, trying to run for, well, not trying to, I am enrolled, signed up, ready to, uh, to do it for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And uh, one of the things that I, that I wanted to do when I decided to, to go the charity runner route is I didn't, didn't just want to repeatedly come to you with palms open saying, hey, can you give give some money on my behalf? Now, ultimately, that's that's what's happening, and that's what will continue to happen. But I want it to be more fun than that. I want it to be something that uh, you know you can you can take part of, or that is kind of somewhat interactive, or that uh, you know we're, we're doing something together somehow. And uh, the new the new push, which is going going live in August, I believe the official date is. August the 11th, running for two weeks, so from the 11th through the 24th of August, it will be heretofore known as the Diz Days of Summer. We are putting on a virtual challenge. You can call it a virtual race if you want, but it's not a specific race distance or anything like that. It is, it is you know, you know where I stand when it comes to one size fits all and everything, everybody's unique and everybody needs to do what they need to do. And so I didn't want to put together just a, a virtual race where everybody had to run a certain distance in order to, to qualify. 
Instead, what I want to do is put together a challenge. So it's it's a virtual challenge where you do you set a challenge for yourself for those two weeks. It may be just a one day thing. I'm going to run you know whatever distance on this one day. Uh, and maybe something that plays out throughout the entire two weeks. Maybe maybe you're going to focus on doing more yoga or you're focusing on getting a certain number of miles for, for each of the weeks or just one of the weeks or for a weekend, whatever. The moral of the story is you create your own challenge, your own thing that, that is going to push you a little bit, but it's going to push you in a good way. And it's and, and by signing up for it, you're supporting the cause. So basically, everything that's happening in the virtual challenge uh, is all all funds uh, outside of expenses. Of course, there's some expenses because there's going to be a medal. There's going to be some things that are sent to you. Well, I mean, the medal is going to be sent to you. So the, the cost of the medal, cost of shipping, you know, those those costs are coming out first. But once once those costs are are covered for each person, um, everything else is going towards the the cause going towards the leukemia and lymphoma society for for my tally for my quota my fundraising goals hopefully blowing right past the the minimum and, and going on to some you know raising some more funds as uh, as the year progresses but uh, after the treadmill challenge in April got us a lot of the way there got us about a third of the way there actually just a little over a third of the way there I'm hoping that uh, the the dis the dis blah, blah, the dis days of summer virtual challenge will get us at least another third of the way there if not even you know, right up to sniffing the, the finish line, maybe even past the finish line, depending on how many people sign up. So um, if you want all the information, basically, I'll, I'll give you all the information right here. But if you want to see it in print, um, head over to disruns.com slash D-D-O-S, initials, Diz Days of Summer. So what's what's the uh, the call sign? Delta, Delta, I don't know, what's what's orange? Orangutan? I don't know, making, making something up here. Oscar, it's Oscar. So Delta, Delta, Oscar, Sierra. Head over to disruns.com slash Delta Delta Oscar Sierra uh, to, to get all the information. Basically, the cost is $25. Uh, and then adding on top of that, there is a, a couple extra bucks for, for shipping um, and tax, I think. So it ends up being about $30, $32, something like that, uh, at least here in the, in the States. Um, and like I said, and so basically, you're, you're covering the shipping costs. So, so actually, we don't have to pay for much for shipping costs. We just have to pay for the cost of the metals because there is a nice metal that comes through it. Um, you can add on additional donations there if you want. There's a, an option to get a shirt if you want for an additional cause or additional cost. But again, all the proceeds outside of the expenses go right towards the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. I will never touch a penny of it. Um, my, my friend Scott Fassard, uh, the the actual the, the the link will redirect to his website. He does virtual races as kind of a side project, um, and he is making the donation uh, from from all the proceeds going right to the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. So I'm not touching any of the money. There's no no shenanigans, nothing like that. You don't have to worry about. I hope you wouldn't have to worry about that anyway. But uh, it's not something that that I'm ever touching. Uh, and he's very transparent with how he does his business. So it's not like there's going to be some shadiness on his end. Uh, that's that's not an issue at all. So uh, if you want to support, would love to do it. I'm also putting together a, a pretty legit uh, virtual goodie bag, virtual swag bag, whatever you want to call it. If you've done a race before where you've gotten a, a virtual swag bag and you're like, yeah, this is garbage, don't worry. Uh, we're putting together something. And uh, I don't think I've mentioned this anywhere else. Well, maybe I have mentioned it. It might be on the website there at disruns.com slash D-D-O-S. Uh, but I am going to include for free for everyone who registers an audible copy, or not audible, but an audio copy 
of Be Ready on Race Day. So I'm putting together, I'm going to be recording that uh, while I'm up in Michigan uh, in the next couple weeks. Going to be recording the audio for the audiobook. It's not, it won't be available anywhere anytime soon. It might end up on Audible eventually, but for right now, it's a, it's exclusive. Diz, Diz Days of Summer Runners will get that. You're getting training plans from other coaches, workout routines, all kinds of things. I'm, I'm calling in a bunch of favors. Uh, I've got a bunch of people working on some things. I already have some some training plans and some uh, some some different other guides and this and that. Some digital products that are all uh, have been submitted by past friends of the show, guests of the show, uh, aiming for $150 worth of value. Um, which obviously they may not all be something that you're interested in, but aiming for $150 worth of value of of real things, real products, real things that you will own. Um, you know, not some sample, not some knockoff, not some bite-sized cliff bar to try to encourage you to buy more of them or anything shady like that. Or some, you know, here's 5% discount code. If you, if you use the code, no, 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 no. These are real things that people are selling that people use to, to, to promote their business and they're donating them to the cause to everyone who registers. So uh, I plan to send the goodie bags out, the swag bags out sometimes early, sometime in early August. And between now and then, I'm continuing to to ask ask people for for things. And people are coming through. Like I said, coaches, nutrition people, mental mental people, uh, you know, mindset. I guess what I'm not mental, but mindset coaches, things like that. Uh, getting all the goodies for you for supporting the cause. So you're getting plenty of stuff. Um, hopefully, far exceeding. The, the, whatever ends up being the 31, $32 that you, that, it, that the cost ends up being, um, and you're also supporting the, the fight against, uh, you know, leukemia and lymphoma cancer, um, which is something that, uh, I think all of us, it, whether it's those particular brands of cancer or not, we've all been touched by the big C. So here's, here's a chance that we can all kind of band together, have some fun, fight back. Definitely going to be lots of pushes on social media, sharing the challenge. I want to know what your challenge is, what you decide to set for yourself. Uh, so when, once you sign up, let me know what your challenge is going to be. Um, I, I have a little incentive. Sorry, this intro is going on so long, but I, obviously I, I want this, uh, virtual challenge to be a success. So, uh, I'm going to keep mentioning it, but not, maybe not quite this in depth as we keep going. But, um, I, I have laid down the gauntlet that, uh, if we get a hundred people, not if, when the hundredth person signs up for the vir- virtual challenge before the start of, um, the start of the event on August the 11th, I will commit. And you know, you know, it pains me to say this, I will commit to a two-week run streak starting the first day of the challenge, running every day, at least a mile, probably closer to like two or three miles a day minimum of the run streak. And the cherry on top is that the last day of the run streak, the last day of the Diz Runs Virtual Challenge will be my August marathon for the month. So I will run 26.2 miles on August the 24th, after running every day, at least a mile, probably closer to at least two or three miles every day for the, the two weeks leading up to it. So you know how I feel about run streaks. You know, it's not, uh, not exactly my jam, but, uh, Hey, cancer's not my jam either. So I'm willing to suffer a little bit. If that'll help you get off the fence and decide to support the cause disruns.com slash D D O S. Once again, Delta, Delta, Oscar, Sierra, if you want to get all the information and sign up there um, and and more details to come as more and more of my friends, fellow coaches, fellow personal trainers, fellow people in the in this arena continue to chip in more more things, more goodies, more uh, more more gifts for you 
for everyone who registers. So thank you guys for the support. And now let's go ahead and dive into the monthly questions. Now, if, if you're new to the show and you made it through this 10 minute opening, thank you for sticking, sticking to it. Um, at the end of each month, one of the things that I love to do is open up the floor to take your questions and try to answer a little bit, try to help you with whatever things you're dealing with. Sometimes just to help you with uh, having some fun because sometimes the questions get a little, uh, a little uh, crazy, a little, a little, you know, less runner specific and more kind of, you know, just fun stuff, which I always love the fun questions, always love the, the more serious runner specific questions as well. But uh, the, if, if you haven't joined the Facebook group yet, that's the best way to get your questions answered. Head over to disruns.com slash Facebook. Or if you're on Facebook, next time you're scrolling through Facebook, just type in the search bar, the Disruns tribe, click to join. We will let you in. Uh, we, we figure you're innocent until you prove yourself creepy or spammy or douchey. And then we boot you, boot you right on out. But uh, I don't boot very many people because, you know, runners tend to be pretty good, pretty good folks. So come on in, join, join the party, jump in, post some memes, crack some jokes, have a good time. And then when you see the post goes out, this says, Hey, what are your questions for this month? You go ahead and put your questions in the comments. I come through at the end of the month and rattle them off, answer them all. And we've got a bunch today. The last several months, y'all have been delivering in spades, which is awesome. Um, got some fun ones, got some heavy ones, got a whole bunch in between. So now that we're already closing in on 15 minutes in, uh, there's no way that this episode is going to be less than an hour, but we're going to dive on through, see what happens and uh, see where we end up as far as time is concerned. So the first question comes from Maya. She says, what are your thoughts on racing shorter distances during a longer distance training cycle? Good idea, bad idea, asking for a friend, by which I really mean asking for myself. So Maya, um, I, I don't have a problem with it really at all, provided that we're being smart. Well, and I say we because Maya is one of my clients, but... Um, just provided that, that if you're doing it, if anybody else is doing it, provided that, that you're being smart about how you schedule the races and how you make sure that your training is on tap. So uh, what I mean by that, so say you're training for a half marathon, marathon, whatever, it doesn't matter, whatever the longer distance is, and you've got the opportunity to run some 5Ks, maybe a 10K, maybe, maybe you're training for a marathon or an ultra, you want to jump in a half marathon, all those things are fine. We can't necessarily get into a situation or you don't necessarily want to get in a situation where you're doing these shorter races every week or every couple weeks. And that's all that you're doing. Meaning that you're going out there, you're bombing that 5k, you're racing it as hard as you possibly can and then shutting it down. All right. Because you, you know, you're still training for this longer race. That longer race is, is, is I'm assuming the bigger goal than, than bombing the 5k and trying to hit your new 5k PR, um, you know, in, in August when you've got this big race in, in October or, or November that you're training for. So we, there are options. You can bomb the 5k and just crush it, but you can't do that necessarily every, every week or two. You can also incorporate the shorter distances, the 5k's, 10k's, maybe the half marathon. If you're training for a longer race, you can also incorporate those as part of your long runs. And that's, that's one of my favorite strategies because, you know, going out to do a, a 16, 18, 20 miler by yourself. I mean, I run by myself a lot of I've, I've started running with a, a friend a lot more recently, which is, which has really been nice for the long runs. But even just if you've got you know, you and your running partner doing 16 miles, 18 miles week after week after week, that starts to get boring. It starts to get tedious. It kind of starts to suck a little bit, but if you can do 15 miles, and finish at the start line for a you know little local 5k 
and then jump in the 5K, run the last 3.1 miles there and, and finish with 18 for the day. That last three miles, which usually, for me at least, the last you know couple, three, four miles of, of any long run, those are always kind of the ones where I'm like, God, is this thing over with yet? You can jump in a race and do that. Hey, that's not a bad way to do it. That's not a bad way to, to make the last part of the long run a little bit more tolerable. Maybe help to push yourself a little bit. Kind of set yourself up for a fast finish long run where you do the first big chunk of it at an easy training pace, you know, just normal long run pace. But then you jump in the, the last five, you know, 5K or 10K of, of your run happens to be a, a local race. You jump in that and now you push the pace a little bit. So you're running a little bit harder on tired legs. I'll tell you what, for my money, there's not a whole lot better way to train for a marathon than, than with the fast finish long run. That's, that's my new kind of favorite go-to workout for myself. Uh, still trying to get some of the Diz runners to really buy in on that, but I'm, I'm a big fan of it. So, um, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm all about mixing in some, some shorter distance races as part of your training. And if, if there's one that you just really want to bomb it and go all out on, you can probably make that work, you know, depending on where it is in the training. It's like, there's some, some variables here, but you can probably make that work. Just got to be smart about it. Got to be intelligent about it. Mix some in as training runs, as part of your training runs. Mix one or two in as, as kind of test test day runs or race day prep runs where you just go out and you run it as a race. Hit it hard. Hammer it. You may not taper quite as much coming in. Again, it depends on where you are in your training cycle. Um, but you can still you can still run a couple races if you want there, Maya. So uh, let, I, I'm assuming that means you've got something cooking. So let me know what you're thinking. But we can we can certainly make that happen. And anyone else, um, you know, if you if you're on the fence about it, it's definitely doable. Definitely doable. Just got to think a little bit. Think a little bit. What's the, what's the main priority? Probably the longer race. So make sure that that what you're doing in the shorter races is helping you still build for the uh, the ultimate goal of you know whatever your goal is for the big race. Uh, next question comes from Tom. Uh, I think this might be two questions wrapped into one here. Uh, the first one: I do not really have access to track to a track for speed workouts, especially during the winter months. What are the advantages and disadvantages to running speed workouts on the treadmill? So Tom, the first, uh, the first, uh, kind of smart assy answer I have for you is, well, I mean, you know, what's the advantage of not running on the treadmill is that you're not running on the treadmill. So there's that. <laughs> um, but, uh, again, y'all know where I stand on the treadmill, not, to, not the biggest fan, although that's going to come back to haunt me again at uh, another question here down the line, but can you do speed workouts on the treadmill? Absolutely. Absolutely. You can. Um, are there advantages? I would imagine. Are there some disadvantages? Absolutely. So the, the advantages would be obviously speed control or pace control is a lot easier. You just set the, set the treadmill and go. Um, so you don't have to try to push to maintain the certain pace. That could also be seen as a negative. That could also be seen as a disadvantage because on race day, you're not jumping on the treadmill and just saying setting it for whatever pace it's going to get you your PR. You got you to gotta manage that. You got to maintain that. You got to be able to know what's the right pace for you. Obviously, you have maybe have some help with your watch, but you got to be able to feel it, not just trust that the that the belt is moving at the right level. Um, but that can that can certainly be a help, uh, especially for like a tempo run, which I know some people don't call that a speed workout. I tend to because anything for me, anything that's hard is classed as a speed workout. So you know, holding holding and maintaining a tight window for your tempo pace is tough. Not tough when you're on a treadmill. Set that joker, cruise. You know, so so it can definitely help you there. Um, some disadvantages or, or the things that I would point to as reasons to, I would encourage to get outside, uh, versus staying inside for your speed work is that, um, one being the, the lag time of the, of the, um, treadmill. 
So, you know, if you're running on it at a recovery pace and like now you've got to blast the, the, uh, a one minute repeat or something like that, well, it's going to take the treadmill seven or eight seconds to catch up to the right pace that you're supposed to be at. Some treadmills, lots of treadmills actually, may not even go fast enough for, for a lot of us to handle for some short and hard repeats. Now you might think, dude, I don't run that fast. Well, you might be surprised how fast you can go. And you also might be surprised that what the number says on the treadmill may not exactly correlate to how fast you're actually going. Uh, because those things, the, the, the calibration can definitely get off, especially if it's an older treadmill, especially if it's a cheaper treadmill. So, and a lot of times the gyms, you know, they, they get used, the treadmills get used all the time, they used and abused. Those things can be way off. So, you know, you might think that you're going at the pace that you want to go, but it might actually be a, a fair bit slower. And you're like, God, this feels pretty easy. Then you get out on the road, or you get out on a race and you go and you're like, what, what is going on? I don't have a parachute that I'm dragging. Why am I moving so slow? Well, it's not that you're moving so slow. It's that what you thought you were doing wasn't what you were actually doing in your workouts. So, um, you know, there, there's that, um, ultimately you just gotta, you gotta do what you gotta do, you know, Tom. And if it's on the treadmill, that's great. Another thing that I would float out there as a possibility is that you don't have to go to the track to do speed workouts, to do track workouts, you know? Like 400 meters is a quarter of a mile, right? And, and if we're splitting hairs, might be a slight difference there of, of whatever, six feet, eight feet, whatever. who cares? Who cares? Uh, if, if your workout is 400 meter repeats, you don't have to go to the track to run 400 meter repeats or 800 meter repeats or any repeats. You know, you, you do you have a, a quiet stretch of the neighborhood, a quiet part of town? Um, I know the, the group that I run with occasionally, the pack, we, we meet at, at a church in town and right next to, to the lake that's almost three miles around. And the runner's club has gone through with the permission of the city, of course, but the runner's club has gone through on the lake and marked off every quarter of a mile. So, you know, if you know where you're starting from, there's a start line. And if you go one direction, there's a mark a quarter mile from there. If you go the other direction, there's a mark a quarter of a mile from there. So you can, you can start at the lake, find a, a, a quarter mile mark, and then judge your, your, you know, 400s, 800s, 1200s, 1600s from there. Or you can just use your watch, set your watch, 400 meter repeats. Quarter mile repeats, go out, run, it'll beep at you. You stop, you walk, you recover, and you hammer it again. So, you know, if, if you don't have access to a track and you're like me and you have no desire to get on the treadmill, then just do your speed workouts anywhere. Try to be somewhere flat. Try to be somewhere where hopefully the, the car traffic isn't too big of a of a thing you have to worry about. So a quiet road or a parking lot, you know, if you, if you roll up to... Uh, you know, the, the mall parking lot or some, some store, some business or whatever, that's got a big parking lot that isn't open until eight or nine o'clock in the morning. And you're there at five 30. Guess what? You can do your speed workouts there. So just get a little creative. If you, if you don't want to be on the treadmill, you can still make it happen. But yeah, Tom, to answer your question, there's pros and cons to doing your speed work on the, on the treadmill, but you can make it work. You can make it work. My advice on the treadmill, stick with longer repeats, tempo type of workouts, just because it's a lot less of a pain in the ass than having to crank it way up a minute later, crank it way down, walk recovery, then get in, settle into the jog and crank it up. I mean, it's just, it's uh, the, the less up and down you can do with the speed on the treadmill, in my opinion, the better, but you know, that's like me saying, you know, anything about the treadmill is, is pot. Like there's nothing about the treadmill that I enjoy. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt, I guess, as it were, uh, your second question, Tom, I'm usually pretty dehydrated after a race and do not immediately drink beer. What do you recommend regarding adult beverages after a race? I, I mean, you do you boo. Um, you know, if, if, if you don't want to, if you're not feeling a beer right away, then don't have a beer, have, have a water, have a Gatorade. Um, maybe they've got mimosas or a bloody Mary. Who knows? Who knows what the races are like in your part of the world? Um, I've had a, a mimosa after a race before. And, and honestly, 
like that that kind of the, the sweetness of it set you know was was more appealing to me than you know the 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 dark hoppy multi bittery uh of a beer would have been at that time um you know i don't i don't i don't care one way or the other like it can, for me it really depends on um, a on how I'm feeling, you know, if I'm feeling wrecked, I'm not going to probably have a beer, but if I feel, if I feel pretty good at the end of a race, yeah, I'll crack open. I'll crack something open. Uh, don't mind. You know, I just want it to be a decent beer, you know? So if, if we're at a race where they're giving out Michelob Ultra and, and Bud Light and no thanks, I've got water in my pack. I'm, I'm good to go. Um, but if, if we're at a race where they've got, you know, some local, local brewery and there's some, some different, some lagers and some ales and some, some things like that, no IPAs for me, but something, something that's actually tastes good. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll imbibe, you know, maybe I'll have a half of one or a full one or a couple, whatever we'll see, but it just, it just depends on how I'm feeling. So, you know, don't force yourself to, to drink a beer and all that, that nonsense about beer being this great recovery drink. <laughs> Come on shenanigans. Not that it's bad, but it's not like the best ever. Just like chocolate milk. It's not that it's bad, but it's not like it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. You know, if you want a beer, have a beer. If you don't, eh, don't, but you know, if you're a little bit dehydrated, don't worry about drinking a beer is going to make you like, it's not going to, it's not going to be a problem. Not going to be a problem. So if you want one, have one. If you don't, don't. Simple, easy. And of course, that took me five minutes to say. So, you know, there's that, which is why these Q&A episodes never end on time anymore. But it's all good. It's all good. Next question comes from Bruce. Any advice on being a marathon pacer? Yes. Yes, I have some advice. I have some some good suggestions as well. And I'll make sure these are linked up in the show notes, which you can get to disruns.com slash 744. But, um... Angie Whitworth Pace was just on the show in the last couple of weeks, probably about episode 740, 739, something like that. Um, and we talked for probably 15, 20 minutes. She's done a lot of pacing in her day. We talked about that, about what, what being a pacer is like. So go back and check out that episode. Go way back in the archives. It may not even be available on your phone anymore, but Mr. Benjamin Wachter was on the show. Um, we talked about pacing as well. Uh, in that episode. So you can go back and check that one out. Again, I'll have those linked up in the show notes if you want to check that out, get the links to the to the posts uh, and, and you can read about it a little bit there, listen to it there as well. Um, but my advice, and this a lot comes with from those two conversations and my one little bit of experience of pacing a half marathon, but the, the big thing is, and, and Angie said this beautifully in our conversation a couple weeks ago, but remember that you are not, like you're not pacing for you. Like this isn't your chance to, race. This isn't your, your chance to whatever you're there in service to other runners. You're there. You're working. Pacing is a job. You might not get paid for it, but hopefully you get, you know, free race registration, maybe free hotels, things like that. But you're not, you're not there for you. You're there for the people that you're pacing. So, you know, the, so treat it like a job, treat it as such, be serious. You know, don't show up to the line at the last second, get there early. Because you want your, the people that are pacing with you to be able to find you, to be able to, to introduce themselves, so you know who you're running with. Um, yeah, you know, I, I hope that this goes without saying, but no headphones, no headphones, no, 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 no. You're not there to listen to music to get you through. You're there to talk. You're there to uh, encourage. You're there to be able to answer questions and support. So you need to be aware of what the hell's going on, not lost in whatever music that you're listening to. So no, no headphones. Don't, don't even bring them. And I think a lot of pacing companies, like that's a pretty, pretty firm rule. But if it's not, don't be that pacer that's got headphones in. Come on now. Um, and then just hit your splits, hit your splits, know what paces you need to be, be prepared. You know, hopefully your flag might have the paces that you need to be or the splits you need to be at each mile marker, whatever, but hit them, hit them. 
you know, and, and try to run as level as possible. Um, although Angie made a great point that depending on the course, you know, if there's a big section of downhill, you might run those a little bit faster. If there's a big section of uphill, you know, you might not, you might not have perfectly even splits throughout because the, the undulation of the course is going to dictate that, but be prepared, be professional. It's a job. Have fun. Of course, have fun, but it, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about you making sure that other people hit their times. Um, and in a perfect world, you come in, you know, right about 20, 30 seconds before the, uh, the allotted time on your flag. You know, you, you want to hit it right on the dot though, as close as possible. That's, that is the goal. That is the expectation. So, you know, no, none of us want to be running with a pacer. Hey, this pacer is going to help me get my, my PR time. And then they end up four minutes slow. And what the hell happened there? You had a, you had one job. So if you're going to be a pacer, take it serious. Um, Take, treat it like a job and then deliver and then deliver easier said than done. But, uh, good luck to you. If that's something that you want to do, Bruce. And like I said, uh, back to the show notes for today, the conversation with Angie, the conversation with Ben, I'll have those linked up disruns.com slash seven, four, four. Or like I said, you can find the conversation with Angie. If you just scroll back a couple of episodes, it'll be right there. Next question comes from Andrew. He says, uh, I want to run my first 50 K in November. What type of nutrition should I have during the race? Quick energy sugars. I've seen people post pickles, maybe a product like you can that helps use fat to burn energy. Um, Andrew, I, I kind of think you might be overthinking this just a little bit. Um, ultimately you got to find out what works best for you. I don't use any of that crap that you, that you mentioned there, uh, when I race. Um, but that's, that's from kind of experience. That's from, you know, me being more of a fat adapted athlete. I don't need to fuel nearly as much. Um, I have really no doubts that I could run a 50 K without really any much fuel at all. Uh, probably any fuel, just some water. Um, I don't know that I would want to, cause you know, if you're running a, an ultra, Part of the fun of the ultras is the ultra aid stations, but, uh, you know, I mean, you, you really don't need anything fancy. Just do what you're, what you're used to, what you're, what you're, um, what you're comfortable with. If you like gels and goos and crap like that, then whatever, if that works for you, it works for you. And I, yes, I have a negative bias towards those things. I don't think they're very healthy. I don't think that they're the best option, but at the end of the day, if they work for you in the past, if they work for you in your training, rock on, rock on, um, I do like real food. I'm more of a real food guy. So, you know, having some pickles and, and when you get to an aid station at, at your first 50 K, your first ultra, you might be a bit amazed, Andrea, at how many things are there. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if you have your choice of pickles, potato chips, potatoes, chicken broth, uh, M&Ms, gummy bears, pretzels. Um, I don't know. What am I missing? Grapes oranges, bananas, uh, cucumber. I mean, you know, like I've seen all of those things at aid stations. I've seen all of those things at the same aid station and probably some things that I'm forgetting. Of course, there's going to be Coke. There's going to be, uh, some ginger ale. There might be some Mountain Dew. There's probably going to be some type of Gatorade tailwind electrolyte drink. There's going to be water. Um, I mean, it's, uh, there's going to be PB and J's. I can't believe I forgot that. There's going to be peanut butter and jelly sandwiches there. They may have some, some gels and chews there as well. A good ultra aid station has a lot, a lot of things. And so, you know, I think one thing that, that gets overlooked, maybe not, maybe not as, as important in the 50 K's and some of the longer distances, but that you need to eat real food. You need to get something in your body. Um, and also just, you know, kind of what, what sounds good, you know, um, obviously you're not, you may not be ready for like a full meal, but like 
you know, if you if you've got a craving for something salty, have a couple of pickles and some potato juice or potato juice, potato chips, maybe a little bit of pickle juice. Uh, if if you're feeling pretty good, grab a couple of M and M's or a gummy bear. Get a little bit of sugar, but nothing too crazy, um, and nothing that just sits on your stomach like a big glop of of, of goo. You know, um, you know, if if you want to have some something in your bottle that's got a little flavor, a little something to it, some Ucan, some Noon, some Tailwind, some Gatorade, whatever. All, all of those things work. Um, I tend to think that, that fueling for an ultra is kind of a, a, a mishmash of different things. I have a personal rule, never say no to potato chips on race day. So I'll, I'll always grab, even if I'm not hungry, even if I don't need it yet, if there's potato chips at an aid station, I'm grabbing at least one, probably a handful. Cause you know, you can't, can't eat just one. Right. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, you know, I would say though, you, you want to get used to running with kind of what kind of real foods set on your stomach. So what can you have from a candy perspective, from chips, pickles, potato chips, pretzels. I guess I said chips a bunch of these. I get chips on the brain in case you couldn't tell. Um, but yeah, I, you know, it's, it's running an, an ultra running a 50 K, especially if it's on the trail, which if memory serves yours is Andrew. Um, it's, it's a, it's a different animal than road races, road marathons. It's a different environment, different setting. Um, and so I, I don't, I don't really see the, the need for quick, quick energy sugars. Um, but again, if that works for you, Hey, I'm not going to tell you, you shouldn't do it. Um, you know, you got to, got to figure that out, but it's definitely, it's definitely as much of a, uh, you know, test of, of your dietary, uh, capabilities and functioning as it is your running capabilities and functioning when you do that, that ultra. So hope that you, uh, hope the training goes well and definitely practice, practice different fueling options during the training and see what works best for you. That'll give you a better idea of what to do on race day than for me to just suggest something. Because, you know, if you're not fat adapted, then, then using, you can to burn fat. I don't know how well that's going to work for you. Um, cause your body's not comfortable with burn with, with using fat for energy as a real easy energy source. Um, and if, if you are fat adapted, like I am, um, then all of a sudden you don't need very much sugar. A, a little bit of sugar goes a long way, you know, kind of like a spoonful of sugar, right? Can you tell what movie we've been watching a lot lately? But, uh, you know, a spoonful of sugar goes a long, long way. Uh, and a, a couple of M&Ms and a gummy bear goes a long, long way too, when you're not used to having a lot of, sh- of sugar and carbs in your diet. So lots of flexibility there, Andrew, you just got to trial and error and figure it out as you prepare for the race. Next question comes from Ellen. Ellen, the show notes queen says, we all know life throws curveballs our way from time to time, and some are bigger than others. You said any stress is perceived as stress by the body, so how does one keep any kind of running base during a period when even going short distances is a struggle? So, you know, if you're in a situation where, you know, I mean, we all have various life things, life curveballs, curveballs that life throws our way on occasion. The kids are sick. We're sick. Work is crazy. Uh, you got to pick somebody up early. You got to stay at work late. The, the dinner sucks or wh- whatever. You know, you, you make something, it's a disaster. So now you got to call takeout or whatever. We all have these things that crop up from time to time. And, and yes, all those are stresses and they all affect our body the same way. So that's, that's one of the reasons that running easy most of the time is, is a good thing because you're not adding more stress, more fuel to the fire. But if you have a situation, which I think this is where, where Ellen's going with this one, if you have a situation where there's some just massive, it's not a curveball anymore. It's a, it's a freaking you know, rocket grenade. It's, it's a bazooka blast, uh, that that just kind of upends everything. Um, my advice in that type of situation is to run what you need to do Uh, is, is, you know, if, if, you know, you're in a situation where world is now upside down and you don't know left from right and what the hell is going on and you just need to go out and blast it, go out and blast it. 
go out and and blast it, cry, scream, yell, whatever. Just let the emotions out. And if that if that happens best while you're going at freaking balls to the wall pace for whatever, 400 meters, 800 meters, whatever, just who cares? You're not even keeping track. You're just hammering it, hammer it. If it's, if what your, your body is telling you it needs is just, you know, some time alone to think and maybe cry and maybe scream and maybe try to figure out the next move, then go out nice and easy, go out and walk, go out and get on the trail for six hours and maybe go four miles or 40 miles, whatever. Um, you know, when, 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 when life is throwing you just little curveballs, um, you know, keep it, keep it easy. Cause yes, all that stress is stress. But when, when life throws a freaking bazooka blast your way, um, you know, just do it, do what you need to do, do what you need to do. And if that's hammer it, hammer it. If that's, if it's a struggle to even go short distances, then, then walk, then, then, you know, whatever, whatever you need to do, whatever kind of helps with, the healing or the, the grief or just trying to make sense of the world. Um, that's what you need to do. And, and I would, I would encourage you to not try to stress out about making sure your heart rate stays at a certain level or making sure that this run is easy or make, you know, no, do what you got to do, do what you got to do. Take care of yourself. Um, and, and let running be as much or as little a part of that process as it needs to be. And once you feel like the ground is back underneath your feet, and you know, the sky is up, the ground is down, and, and there's some stability again, then, then you can get back to worrying about making the easy runs easy and not adding too much stress with too much hard workouts and just you know taking care of your body and sleeping and eating and all these things. But when everything's ass over elbows and you don't know which, which way is out, just whatever, whatever you need from running, take it without a second thought without a second thought. So, um, hope that kind of gets to your question, Ellen, hope that makes a little bit of sense and, uh, uh, much love to you, my dear right now. Um, next question comes from Neil says, what are your thoughts on support shoes and pronation? I have been to a couple of running specialty stores and they sell me support shoes. I don't mind, but lately my go-to shoes have been neutral. I think, and there's, I I know that there's articles and research and things like that, that, that kind of I don't know if there's research, but there's articles, there's studies. Uh, there's, there's, there's some, some experts out there that, that agree with me on this or that I agree with them probably is what's really happening here. But I think the support shoes and, and the pronation problem, quote unquote problem are way overhyped. They're way overblown, um, basically to sell more shoes, right? Um, so let's, let's look at the facts. The facts are when you run, I don't care who you are, Neil, you, me, everybody else listening. When we run, our foot pronates. That's that's the natural movement of our foot. It's going to happen. And the more you you slow down the the camera on when you're running on the treadmill at the specialty store, the more it's going to look like it's dramatic pronation over pronation when it's just normal. When it's just normal. But they slow it down. They look at oh, see how your arch collapses here. Oh, you you need some support. You need you need a stabilizer shoe. Nah, you probably don't. Your body probably knows what it's doing. You're probably, your body has probably figured it out. Now you get into these, these st- stability shoes, if you don't need them, that kind of forces your foot in a certain direction. And now there's more stress on your ankle and more stress on your knee. And, and eventually somewhere else is going to give you a problem. Get into a neutral shoe. Let your foot do what it does. Let your body support what it knows is its, is its, is its own natural. Because, hello, your body's been supporting you since you, know, you were a year and a half and you started walking. Um, so it's kind of figured out what your foot strike is like. Okay. Um, I'm a big fan of neutral shoes, big fan of neutral shoes. That said, 
It's not universal. There are some folks, maybe some of you listening, that definitely need a stability shoe. But I would trust a diagnosis from like a doctor, a podiatrist, um, a whole lot more than I would trust, you know, somebody from the the shoe store. And I don't mean that derogatively towards the shoe store, but if it's not painfully obvious to you that, that you need something, you know, looking at the, at the wear of your shoes or things like that, then, and most importantly, if you're not having any problems, then stick with a neutral shoe. If you're in a stability shoe, it works for you. You feel great. Then probably stay there. Okay. Um, that's, that's really the name of the game when it comes to shoes is don't, don't fix what ain't broken because a lot of times when you do that, you're going to break something and it may not be your foot or your ankle, but it may be something in your hip, your knee, your it band, whatever. Um, so, you know, when in doubt, go with neutral. Um, but you know, there's, there's a time and a place for supportive shoes or inserts or things like that. I just, from my perspective in the medical field, athletic training field, running field, coaching field, um, I think those things tend to be a bit a good bit overprescribed, over relied upon when in most cases, um, you'd be fine without it. You'd be fine without it. So if you're, if your body's enjoying the neutral shoes, Neil, then stick with the neutral shoes, you know? And if, if something starts to get a little grouchy, you've got a pair of stability shoes on in the, in the closet, put them on once in a while, see if that helps. But if things are, are pretty happy with the neutrals, stay with the neutrals. And, um, I know that there's been some questions. We've had some back and forth and, and you're starting to work with me now too, Neil, uh, with the IT band. I'm not saying that it's stability shoe related. I'm not saying it's not, I'm not saying it's not. So if, if you know, your knee's been a bit happier, the IT band has been a bit happier in the stability shoes, you know, I'm not saying it's directly one-to-one correlation, but Hey, might be worth riding out the neutral shoes for a while and see if that helps to alleviate a lot of the IT band issues that you've struggled with in the past as well. So it's worth, it's worth an attempt. As long as your body feels good with the neutrals, stay with the neutrals. Next question comes from Karen. She says, uh, I feel like I'm not a real runner because I'm slower than most, like sometimes a 13 minute mile. I am training for the Chicago marathon, which will be my first full. And my goals are to finish and not get injured. However, for half marathons, I want to shame, shave some time off my quote unquote PR uh, we'll get to that in a second, Karen. Quote unquote PR of 245. When I try to run faster, it's too uncomfortable or I end up getting injured. Again, this is my issue and some people may or may not feel the same. And maybe it's not a relevant topic for q and I've always felt very welcome in the running community despite my pace. That's what's great about our community. I know it's an existential question more than anything else. I find myself comparing my times to those of my friends and I can't help but feel embarrassed about my race times. Anyway, that's what I meant. So, uh, I suppose my question would be, should trying to run faster always be the goal? Karen, if I could right now, if, if you've got headphones in, just imagine that your headphones, your earbuds, whatever you're listening to this, listening to my words right now, imagine that those are my hands wrapped around your, your, the sides of your head, lovingly shaking you, trying to shake some sense into you a little bit. Okay. Um, and I obviously say that in, in jest and, and with love, but, um, girl, you're absolutely a real runner. Um, I know there's people, I, I, I guarantee you 100% guarantee you that there are people that are listening to this right now. And when, when they got to that part of your question where you said like, like sometimes I run about a 13 minute mile, I, I guarantee you that there are people going, God, I wish I could run a 13 minute mile. And they're runners. 
So if, if you know, you're somewhere in the 13 minute range, sounds like a runner to me. Um, the idea of a quote unquote PR, no girl, there, there's no quote unquote PR. If that, if that is the fastest that you run a half marathon, then by God, that's your PR own it. Be proud. You ran a mar- you ran a half marathon in two hours and 45 minutes. I can tell you a lot of people in my family that have no, no way in hell could run a half of a half marathon in two hours and 45 minutes. You're, you're faster than you give yourself credit for. Now, is it easy to get caught up in looking at what other people are doing and going, gosh, like, you know, so-and-so runs a marathon in two hours and 45 minutes and I run a half marathon in two hours. Absolutely. That, that happens. That's natural. That's normal. Guess what? You're human. Guess what? Playing the comparison game. That's, that's, that's something that humans have been doing since we got out of the trees or since we, we came out of the garden. Um, and it's, it's something that, that is made, I, you know, I've said this before. That's, that's the biggest downfall of social media is that it just, it just is begging for the comparison game, it, begging for you to look at, at your situation and go, all right, well, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, two hours and 45 minutes, two hours and 43 would be a pretty fast half marathon for me. And then you get on Instagram, you get on Facebook and somebody posts something about, God, I had a terrible half marathon today finished in two hours and eight minutes like this sucks and you're going what the hell what the hell like i would i i would i would think about giving up my 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 left leg after the race to run a 208 and and this person's complaining terrible ran and raven how bad of a day i had because i ran 208 um that's normal that's natural congratulations you're human um i think so to answer your question, your, your question being, should trying to run faster always be the goal? No, no. I, I think that as, as runners, for all of us that are, that are listening, for me that is talking, um, I think that the, the number one priority, number one goal should always be to have fun. Uh, because as far as I know, and, and uh, you know, the, the invitation is always out there. Anybody who's listening to this who legitimately makes their living because of the time on the clock when they cross the finish line, i.e. You're, you're an elite pro athlete, pro runner who gets paid based on how fast you are and where you finish in relation to everybody else. Um, if you're listening, correct me on this. But for all the rest of us that we run, and yes, we're, we're some of us maybe try to get faster. Some of us try to you know, have different goals. But at the end of the day, we don't put food on the table. We don't, we don't put the roof over our head because of how fast we run. Lord knows I don't. Goodness gracious, if, if that was the case, we'd be starving down here, <laughs> you know? Um... So, so, you know, the goal should be to, to, to have fun. And for some people, part of the fun is trying to run faster. I get that. I get that. That's cool. That's cool. Um, but if, and if that's something that you want to do, continue to work on it, continue to, to work on building your base. Remember, you know, you, you, you've probably heard me talk several times about heart rate and building that aerobic base and running slow to race fast and how, you know, you don't have to go hard all the time to get faster. In fact, the best way to get faster on race day is to run easy most of the time to improve your endurance so that when you get out there and you're trying to go a little bit faster, you're able to maintain that faster pace for the entirety of the race instead of fading towards the end and, and, and really struggling at the end of the race. So, you know, when, when you're training for Chicago, my, my gut tells me that if, if you wanted to, to run a half marathon in the build up to Chicago, if the weather cooperated, you might be surprised how fast you could go. You know, going back to Maya's question at the beginning about running shorter distance races while training for longer races, you know, if, if your training is on point and it fits in with your schedule that you want to run a, a half marathon and really race it, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of, of 
six-ish weeks out from Chicago, which it might still be a bit warm, so it might not be the best weather conditions, but you could give it a shot. You might be surprised at how fast you can go because you've got this base of fitness built up as you're preparing for the marathon. So, um, you know, do, do what you, do what you enjoy. Um, I hope that your friends aren't like flaunting or, or giving you a hard time for how quote unquote slow you are compared to them. I'm assuming that they're not. I'm assuming that that's something that's kind of more internal. Cause I have that internal struggle too. I think probably just about everybody listening at times has that internal struggle too. It's just, it's just part of it. It's just part of it. But, um, you're, you know, if, if there's anything that you hear hear that you're absolutely a runner, that pace is completely relative. It, it, you don't have to be fast. Don't have to be slow, whatever you're a runner. And you know, you, you got to do what makes it fun for you. Or I would encourage you, Karen, to do what, what keeps it fun for you. And if that's, if that's turning the watch off completely and just running with your friends and that's it. And not worrying about the stats, then do that. Do that. Whatever makes it fun. That's the most important thing. And if, if you have pace goals, then pace goal, you know, add that in at the end. That's, that's fine. You know, work towards, work towards getting faster if you want to, but if it's adding more stress, if it's making you more feel like you're, you're more injured, things like that. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. So releasing my, my hands from the side of your head, stop shaking you. I'll give you a hug. You're a runner. Welcome, welcome to the running family for sure. Now don't, don't ever, please don't ever question that again. All right, Karen, I hope that, hope that helps. Hope that makes sense. And, uh, I, I speaking for the other, whatever thousand and almost 1100 people in the Facebook group these days. Um, we're glad to have you and I hope you feel welcome and at home in, in our little corner of the internet. So, um, thank you for the question, Karen. Next question comes from Nita. Says, uh, torn meniscus surgery, yes or no, from your medical expertise, of course. Um, so, my medical expertise, the answer is absolutely yes or no. It's one or the other. Um, when it comes to a torn meniscus, it, it really depends on two things the location of the tear and the severity of the tear. Do you need to have surgery or not to fix it? Um, the, the meniscus, for those that aren't aware, it's this kind of cartilagey shock absorber type of thing. Um, that sets on top of your tibia, which is your shin bone and your, your femur kind of rests upon it when your legs are locked out. So your femur is your thigh bone. It, it helps to absorb the shock, prevent the, those two bones from slamming against each other. Every time you walk, every time you run, every time you take a step. Um, and there's parts of the meniscus where there's pretty decent blood flow. And so, you know, you can, you can repair something, you can get it fixed. It, it can somewhat fix itself because there's enough blood flow to it. There's parts of the meniscus where there's not any blood flow and it's really never going to be fixed. So whenever, when they do surgery, instead of quote unquote fixing it, they just cut it out. Um, but what happens when you get a little meniscal tear is that there usually there's a little, a little rip in, in that bit of, of cartilage. We'll call it cartilage. It's not, I don't know if it's technically cartilage, but whatever, for, for sake of argument, there's a little rip in that cartilage and, and it can, you know, cause some irritation it can, can kind of cause you need to lock out a little bit uh, because there's not a whole lot of space there. And so now there's something that's, that's not where it's supposed to be. It, it kind of locks your knee in place. It works itself loose. Sometimes those little tears, those little flaps, they'll, they'll tear. It'll, it'll swell. It'll calm back down. And that tear kind of sets flat into the cartilage. And it kind of almost looks like it's, you know, almost like, a, like the grain of wood. Like you can see it, but it's not causing any problems. So in that case, no, nah, there's no real need to, to get it fixed. Um, if it's something where it's sticking up and it's causing problems all the time, you can't bend and straighten your knee appropriately. 
then yeah, then maybe it's time. You know, maybe that's a good situation to get it fixed. It also depends on what kind of things you do. Running straight forward, which is what most of us do most of the time, doesn't put a lot of stress and strain on the meniscus. Cutting side to side, twisting, you know, like basketball, football, sometimes trail running. If you're jumping over things and moving side to side, um, that can put more stress and strain on the meniscus. So um, there's a lot of variables at play as far as whether or not surgery is the best bet. Um, and it really just kind of depends on the tear itself. But, uh, you know, if you have to get it fixed, assuming everything goes according to plan, uh, it's not a super long recovery process. Um, you know, six weeks, eight weeks, you're kind of back to moving. You might not be back to full running yet, but you're back to, back to movement. Um, certainly within a few days, you're probably pedaling on the bike a little bit, trying to help the swelling get out. Basically once the swelling comes down and the, the, you know, it has a chance to, to, kind of heal up a little bit before too much stress and strain on it, you know, you can get back to running fairly quickly. So, uh, if you need to get it done, I hope it goes smoothly, but just because it's torn doesn't mean you have to have surgery on it right away, but it's probably never going to heal on its own, but it, it may be years before it gives you another problem. Um, you know, and, and every time you, you tweak it, it's probably going to get a little bit worse to the point where you're eventually probably going to have to have surgery on it. Um, but you know, I think my, my opinion, both professional and personal is the longer you can avoid having surgery, the better, the longer, the better, um, provided it's not causing you problems, you know, day to day and in your running life. You know, if, if it's, if it's working all right, you're feeling okay. Keep on keeping on. Um, next question comes from Jasmine but before we dump, jump into that one. Just a quick reminder, disruns.com slash D D O S get yourself registered for registered for the Diz days of summer virtual challenge this year happening in August of 2019 would love to have you take part and uh, thank you for the support of the leukemia and lymphoma society. So question comes from Jasmine. She says, I really enjoyed racing. I really enjoy racing, but as a single income family, sometimes I find it hard to bring myself to pay for races. Any, any recommendations on how to run more races on a budget right now? I'm at two per year, both races in the summer, but I may be at three or four this year and would love to do even more. So Jasmine, I, I get it. I, I enjoy racing as well. It's a lot of fun being around other people, the excitement, the atmosphere, yada, yada, yada. Um, but yeah, races can get expensive, especially the bigger races start to get really expensive real quick. And if, you know, trying to stay within a budget, uh, trying to make sure that the, that the, the needs are met first before the wants, um, you know, racing can kind of be something that, that, uh, has to get pushed to the, uh, to the back burner a little bit at times, but there are options. So, um, a couple of people gave some, some great suggestions in the Facebook group. I want to shout out, um, Andrew and, and, uh, Julie, I think both recommended the idea of, um, volunteering. Uh, so you can still be around the race environment, but you know, you're not racing, but you're still there. So that can be a, a whole lot of fun. Um, I know some, some races will offer the idea of, um, you know, if you volunteer for one of our, especially if they have like multiple races in a series, Hey, if you volunteer for a race, you can run another one for free, you know? So, so you might not be able to race as much, but you're still around the races all the time and you're able to then run the next race for free. Maybe that's year, you know, one year to the next year. Maybe that's if they've got, you know, four races over the, the, the summer or four races over the winter or whatever. Um, you know, you volunteer for the first and the third, you're able to run for free the second and the fourth. Um, I know, uh, a friend that has done some trail ra- trail running, trail races where they've offered that if, you know, a, f- a family member comes and volunteers at the race, then she could run the race for free. So maybe that's an option You make it a family affair 
and you know your 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 spouse and and the kids or maybe the kids go off to the grandparents and your spouse comes and he and you know he works the the aid station or registration or whatever hands out medals at the finish line whatever it is he he does some volunteering for the race that morning and now you're able to run for free so um i think that the best bet is to um you know touch base with with the race directors and find out if there's an opportunity for some type of of barter deal, some type of volunteering. You may even be able to volunteer the day before at packet pickup and then run the race for free. So you don't even have to volunteer at the race. You can volunteer, help stuff packets, help do whatever, depending on the race, depending on who's organizing it. There may be a lot of options. So, uh, the other, the other thing, typically the smaller races probably have more opportunities for that than the bigger races. You know, if you're talking to a big race, big city races, things like that. I mean, they have, they have a, you know, it's, it's part of the, the city budget. So they have all the, the, or many of the needs met, you know, and, and, and they may not have such a, a feel for or such a desire to, to work with you on that situation. But, you know, the local runners club, the local community races, the local, um, you know, the, some of the nonprofits or the, the organizations that are putting on a race, if you offer to, to help them out in exchange for being able to run their, their charity race or whatever for free, you might be surprised how quickly they're like, Oh yeah, you can, you can help, you know, stuff packets or, or whatever, you can absolutely run for free the next day. No questions asked. So that would be my best bet to help you get into uh, to some more races without breaking the budget, Jasmine. So hopefully that helps. Uh, next couple questions, both from Hilda. First one, what factors can significantly increase your heart rate from one day to the next? Like 20 beat per minute difference going at the same pace. So there's a whole host of things. I mean, we, we could, we could uh, probably be here for another hour of me just rattling off the different different things. But just off the top of my head... Um, the amount of sleep you got, how much stress you're feeling from just life, time of day, um, what you ate or didn't eat, caffeine. Did you have some coffee before versus not? Um, you know, how, I think I said how much, did, how, how well you slept, just how overall relaxed you are. Uh, basically, there's a, there's a whole host of, of external factors. And so to try to, you know, if you're, if you're going to kind of really buy into heart rate training and, and trying to, to be as steady with that as possible... I think one of the best things you can do is try to run at the same time every day for me, just for consistency sake. So for me, that, that works out to be best first thing in the morning before any coffee, before Addison wakes up, before it gets too hot because heat can be another one, weather, fa- weather factor, hot, cold, windy, rainy, all those things impact your heart rate. Um, terrain, of course, you know, you're running at the same pace, but you're running, you know, a flat versus a downhill versus an uphill. Those all, all impact things. Um, you know, there's, there's so many variables. Um, if you're, if you're committing to heart rate training and I'm not sure if you are or not Hilda, but if you are commit to it and don't worry about pace, just stop looking at pace altogether. If you, if, if you keep getting worked up on what your pace is, just look at your heart rate and adjust for that day. And some days you might be running a fair bit slower than others, but stick with the heart rate. If you're just noticing it and just kind of curious about why it's so different. I mean, again, there's so many different things, what you ate, what you drank, how, how hydrated you are, how well you slept, how crazy the day was at work. I mean, all of those things impact how calm your, your, or how, you know, how fast your heart is beating because, you know, back to Ellen's questions earlier, stress is stress is stress. So, you know, if you're, if you're feeling stressed from, from work and then you go to try to run and now you're freaked out, why the hell is my heart rate up so high? And now it goes up even higher. Cause that's more stress to your body. So it's, it's banging out, you know, some more, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a spiral. So, you know, lots of factors, lots of things can, and, and honestly, a 20, 20 beat per minute difference 
Not really that much. Not really that much in the grand scheme of things, especially when you're running, when you're working out. Um, that's and just fatigue. You know, I mean, it may be something where you start off at, uh, at at a certain heart rate and you keep running at that same pace, and four miles later your heart rate's up twenty beats. Well, yeah, that's because you you've been pushing it for the last four miles, or at least running at that pace for four miles. Your you, your heart rate starts to beat beat harder as you go, or beat faster as you go. So that's another thing. That's not anything any factor that that other than physiology that impacts it. So, um, so yeah, hopefully all that, that kind of makes a little bit of sense, Hilda, but yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not something to, to freak out about, but again, if you're, if you're getting serious about heart rate training, it's something to whatever, you know, don't worry about pace, worry about heart rate. And that's, that's the main focus, uh, and making sure that things stay easy in where they're supposed to be. Uh, next question also from Hilda, like I said, do you run or work out when you're on vacation? My hubby is not a runner. We're doing a four-night all-inclusive adults only in Playa del Carmen. And my family is scoffing at me for searching for hotels that have a runnable beach. Um, I run when I'm on vacation. Absolutely. Um, I mean, that's just, that's just a given. It's just a given in my, in my family. Um, that said, I mean, you know, I, I, I would... I don't try to be a, 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 an ass about it and say that, well, I'm going to run and you all can't, you know, can't do anything. So maybe some days it's one of those deals where, um, Rebecca and Addie go do something or typically it's more like they sleep in, but you know, maybe they're, they're going to do something. Uh, they're going to breakfast while I go to run and then we meet back up and then we go do whatever we're doing for the family vacation the rest of that day. Um, you know, or, or if, if it's a bigger family vacation type of thing where, where there's extended family and grandparents and things like that, like they take Addison to do something while Beck, Rebecca, Rebecca and I can go run. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's usually factored in, but at the same time, um, you know, I like to, I like to try to live with the vacation rules of running, which basically means that you do what you want when you want as much as you want, you know, kind of as, as you, as you deem fit. So maybe the plan is to run and then, you know, something happens and you're, you're out dancing and you have a couple bottles of wine and it's like, well, I guess, you know, don't force yourself to get up and go running in the morning, you know, have, you're on vacation, relax, have fun. Um, but if having fun for you is going running, then go, go running. You know, what, what kind of things does your husband like to do? Does he like to golf? Does he like to fish? Does he like to lay by the pool and, and drink Coronas? Well, while he's laying by the pool, drinking Coronas, you can go get, get a few miles in. You know, hopefully you can go, you know, find a runnable beach instead of getting on the treadmill, um, or running laps around the pool area. But, you know, if you want to run, I say go run, um, because it's, you know, it's kind of your vacation too. Right. And you don't have to be glued to the hip the entire time. Um, but you know, try to make it fit through the, through the, the vibe of the vacation as well. So if that means getting up a little bit earlier, um, or sneaking out during the afternoon siesta or whatever, like just make make your runs fit with the the rest of the vacation, and nobody should give you that much trouble. Um, and then you know, have a little bit of wine if you want to as well. Nothing nothing wrong with that while you're on vacation. Uh, next question comes from Suzanne. It says, "What are your recommendations on coming back from a huge major injury? Um, if you've been out for a while, I think the one of the worst things that that can get in your way, trip you up when you come back from injury, is starting to compare or trying to maybe not trying, maybe it's inevitable, but you end up comparing yourself." to what you were doing beforehand. So I think a lot of times we forget about where we were when we started. And when you're coming back from a major injury, if you've been out for six months, eight months, a year, more than that, um, I mean, you're starting, you're not technically starting from square one, but in all intents and purposes, let's say you're starting at square one. So, you know, if you, if you were running a 10 minute pace before, and now you're injured and you've been out for a while and you've been trying to cross train and do some things, but you're starting to come back from, for, for you know, to running and you're thinking in your head, well, you know, last time I went running, it was just an easy run. It was, it was three miles. I got it done in 30 minutes. 
I, I think that'd be a good place to start. Matt, wrong, wrong. Start way more basic than that. Start with maybe a mile, maybe not even that much. Maybe you know a block, two blocks, a quarter of a mile, a half a mile. Um, but just start real simple, real low. Because even if you've been able to maintain your cardio fitness, let's remember that your body hasn't gone through the pounding motion of running for six, eight, 12, 16, 18 months. So you got to build that back up too, to help make sure you don't get injured. So start back. I mean, the biggest, the biggest thing is just slow, 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 both in terms of pace and in terms of progression. You don't need to race to get back to where you were. You'll get there eventually, but take your time. The last thing you need, last thing I would imagine that you need, I would imagine the last thing you want is after being out for several months, if not even longer than that, is to get back into running for a month and then get injured again with something different because you tried to do too much too quickly, getting back to where you were, you know? So just ease on in, take your time, build up over time and you'll be, you'll be just fine. But slow, short, baby steps, baby steps. Kind of just, if you can, if you can go men in black style where they click the pen or whatever, and everybody forgets their memory, forget your memory of what your, what your last six months of running were like, and just focus on starting from scratch, starting from scratch, maybe couch to 5k, maybe something, you know, some similar type of thing where it's some run walking and gradually ease up as your body starts to come back. It will come back. Your, your body, you know, didn't forget how to run, but it needs, it needs some, some help getting back to that point. So take your time. But uh, hopefully that question, Suzanne, means that you're getting ready to start running again. Uh, looking forward to seeing some of those posts uh, and, and knowing that you're back out there uh, and that uh, the, the hamstring is finally, hopefully, all better and ready to go. Next question. I think we've got about uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. Goodness gracious. Still got another seven or eight more to go. We're already over an hour, but whatever. We're going to keep plowing through. Uh, next question comes from Brooke says, I know it's not a huge goal of yours, but you've said on a couple of podcasts that you are going to put your name in one day for New York. So put me on the spot. When are you going to put your hat in the ring for the New York city marathon? So I don't, I don't know. I don't know. You know, it's, it's one of those things where this is how, this is how it plays out in my head. Right, Brooke. Um, you know, I, I figure if I go ahead and start putting my name in the hat, and honestly, right now, the, the hesitation is the financial aspect of it. It's whatever it is, a couple $300 for the race, plus the travel, plus staying in New York for a few days. Like, that's not a cheap little race getaway, okay? Um, and, and right now, with where we are, I mean, we could, we could swing it, but, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a cheap, cheap guy. By kind of, I mean, I'm a very cheap guy. Um, and, you know, I'd, I'd rather keep the money in, like, the emergency fund or something like that then take that, take that trip right now. So what's holding me back is this probably completely unrealistic, you know, random thought process that if I put my name in now, I'm going to get picked when it's not something that I can really easily afford. And then I'm going to have to wrestle with the idea of like, well, should, should we, should we do it? You know, I mean, it's, it's chance to run New York and I, I do, you know, it's not a huge priority, but I do want to run it at some point. I've heard enough good things about it. I'd like to experience it, but you know, should I do it now? But if I don't take it, then, you know, then it's, it's like, well, when will I have the opportunity again? And I don't know. And, and so I figured my luck would be that I put in for, for 2020, I would get picked for 2020. And then I'd have to have this wrestling match with my, my morals and my, my, you know, my, my checkbook and see if I could do it or not. But my luck 
if I wait until 2025 or something like that, when maybe, you know, hopefully the business continues to grow and there's more books and there's more things. And, and all of a sudden, you know, the, we've, we've got the discretionary income very, you know, where, where we could do that type of trip and, and make a good family trip out of it and have a good time. Well, at that point, I'll put myself in and it'll take me a decade to get picked in the lottery, you know? So kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. But, but ultimately that's, that's really what it boils down to. I, I just, you know, I, I don't want to get picked and have to pass on it because I can't afford it or put myself and my family in a situation where, you know, the budget's a little bit more stretched than, than is comfortable because I'm trying to run this, this race. So that's, that's the big reason that I'm holding off for right now. Eventually we'll get there, but, uh, just not quite there yet. And like I said, once I, once I get there, then it'll be another eight years until I get picked. So, you know, whatever, whatever it is, how it is. So, uh, but thank you for the question, Brooke. Thanks for calling me out on, uh, something I've said, but never acted on about putting myself in the, in the, put my name in the hat for the New York city marathon. It'll happen one of these days. Um, for sure. So the next question comes from Adu says, uh, what's up Diz? What are your tips for training for a net downhill marathon? Other than actual running workouts, do you recommend any other activities to strengthen prep the quads? Thanks. I mean, you know, certainly I do. I, I'm, I'm a fan of lower body strengthening and working your body, working, working your quads, doing squats, lunges, all those types of things. Those are good anyway, but certainly add a little bit more strength there. Add a little more resilience there is going to help you for a downhill course. But I, I really think that the best thing that you can do to prepare for a downhill marathon is to get comfortable running downhill. Um, you know, I, I don't know exactly what your, what your training is like, but I know a lot of people when they, when they think of running hills, it's all about running hard uphill. It's like hill sprints, run up the hill, then walk or jog slowly back down and then run up again and slowly walk back down. And, and there's a value to that. That's a good workout to do, but it doesn't help you get comfortable running downhills, especially down steeper hills. So I think that, that one of the best things that we can do in our training is get comfortable with that is, you know, incorporate downhills into your long runs, into your tempo runs. Um, you know, depending on the, the height of the hill, maybe your recovery is running up the hill and then you bomb it down the hill, uh, to do kind of, you know, I don't know what, would that be negative hill repeats? Would that be inverse hill repeats? I don't know what, what you'd call that, but actually practice running downhill and running downhill at pace. Because what that does, A, it obviously helps condition your quads a little bit, uh, but B, it helps you to feel comfortable. And if you're comfortable bombing downhill, leaning forward, leaning into it, and trusting that you're not going to end up asses over elbows on the concrete, you'd be amazed how fast you can go down the hill and how it really doesn't beat up your body that much. You know, it, I've had I've had several downhill races, or at least you know big chunks of races that were you know downhill where my quads weren't sore at all because I'm comfortable running downhill. I'm comfortable just leaning, leaning into it, letting things happen and not trying to break, not trying to, to fight it. Um, I mean, I'm sure if I ran 26 miles down the entire time, maybe that would be a different story, but most races aren't going to be that situation. It might be a net downhill, but there's still going to be some uphills. There's still going to be some flats. So, you know, I think the biggest thing you can do, the biggest thing I would certainly recommend is practice running downhill and not just tentatively, but bomb down some hills and you'll be surprised how much easier it is to just lean into it and go and, and feel like a million bucks at the, well, maybe not a million bucks, but feel like, feel like at least a, a, crumple, a couple of crumpled up dollar bills at the end, basically just being in that you're not going to be any more sore, any more beat up than you would be after any 26.2 that you're really crushing and getting after it hard. So hopefully that helps. Hopefully you got some hills that you can practice running down. Uh, but I think that's more often than not the best situation. Uh, next question, actually a couple of questions coming from, 
Uh, Anthony says, when running with your dog and he inevitably stops to go to the bathroom, do you stress about pausing the watch to keep pace accurate or do you find that it isn't super important to do so? Also for the long runs, do you bring water for the dog and take a break or find that he doesn't quite need a water break until finished? So I am definitely a dog runner. Anthony, I, I run with my dog as often as I can. Um, and whether I'm with the dog, whether I'm by myself, once I press start, I never, ever press stop on my watch until I'm finished. Of course, I'll, I'll stop it when I'm finished. But there is no pausing your watch for me. I know a lot of people do it. I am not a fan. Why am I not a fan? Because how often have we seen people that, uh, you know, pause their watch to get a drink and then they forget to start it. And now, now their stats are all messed up or, you know, call me crazy, but you know, when you're running a race, if you stop to use the bathroom or you stop to get a drink or, you know, you stop to let your dog pee, um, the race, the race clock ain't stopping. So why should, you know, so my logic is why should I stop it during a training run? Yeah. So, so it messes up your average pace a little bit. Who cares? Who, who I mean, I don't, maybe that's something that really matters to you. And if that's the case, then yeah, stop it, whatever. That's fine. Um, but I could care less about my pace and training care less. Um, you know, and, and sometimes I'll know that, yeah, my pace would have been a bit quicker, but you know, Bailey stopped a couple times and whatever, you know, all right. So I, I had to stop a couple times, clean up, whatever. Uh, you know, so, so yeah, that, that maybe, you know, slowed down my pace for a short run, but so what, so what I know what I was doing. Um, and I know that I got my mileage in and you know, I, I don't care what my pace looks like. Cause I know that on race day, I'm not going to have the dog most likely, and I'm going to be able to bomb and you know, it's going to be good. So, so yeah, I, I would say who there's more important things in life to worry about than perfectly accurate average pace, uh, during a training run because your dog stopped to pee or, or, you know, drop a deuce and you had to pick up after your dog, but make sure you're picking up after your dog. If you, if you can't do that, then don't run with your dog, but I'm going to, I'm going to trust that you're a good dog owner, Anthony. So you're going to clean up after your dog. Um, and then, you know, then you're going to stop to, to drop the bag in the trash somewhere. So that's, there's another two seconds, whatever average pace close enough. Um, as for water, obviously that, that depends on your dog. It depends on the, the conditions. Um, when I'm running with Bailey in the, in the cooler months of the year, um, we don't really stop very often. Um, you know, this time of year when it's hot, um, I, we don't stop often, but like if she's, if she's, if you can tell that she's hot, you know, I'll, I'll make sure I'll try to find a spot where, uh, maybe there's a puddle on the road. Uh, maybe somebody's sprinklers are running. There's a little bit of a puddle that's, that's running off the, the grass. Well, let's stop and she can drink there a little bit. If I've got water with me, I'll give her a couple squirts out of my water bottle. I don't care. That, that dog has uh, cleaned my tonsils before. Um, when I take a yawn and she, she jumps, jumps in there. So whatever, she can t- take a little sip off my water bottle. Um, you know, maybe, maybe that not every dog owner is quite that uh, intense, but you know, that, that works. Um, you know, you can, you can carry a water bottle or a bowl with you to put some water in it for the dog. Uh, if, if you're running in an area where there's some public water fountains, maybe there's a, you know, the water fountains that we have here in town, most of them have the dog bowl water fountain as well. So you can hit that and let the dog drink out of the, the, the water bowl. Um, I'm not above picking my dog up or letting her put her paws up on a, on a water fountain somewhere to get a drink out of the water fountain that way. Um, but you know, I mean, if it's hot, your dog needs water, you know, um, depending on how far you're going. I mean, if it's just a couple, three miles, your dog's conditioned for it. That's great. Um, I mean, I took Bailey on two runs last week that were close to 10 miles a piece. So, you know, we, we, I wasn't afraid to give her a little bit of water to let her stop and get a drink somewhere to help her cool down a little bit because you know, dogs don't, uh, don't sweat. So we got to make sure we're taking care of our dogs that way. 
Um, so, you know, again, you got to do what you got to do based on the fitness of your dog, based on the, the distance that you're running and based on what the weather temperature is, what the weather conditions are like. So be smart. You know, the last thing, last thing I want to see from anybody is somebody who loves their dog enough that they take them running and then runs their dog literally into the ground by not letting the dog get a drink or relax because it's too hot. You know, if your dog starts to overheat, the run is done. Run is over. Take care of your dog. Okay. And I'm sure that, that I'm sure that you're doing that, Anthony, but, but that's, that's what works for me. It works for my dog. You know, your dog might be a little bit different. So adjust and adapt and do what you got to do. If you're running with your dog, that run is as much about your dog as it is about you. So make sure that your dog is being taken care of and that its needs are met as much or even more so than yours are. Cause it can't tell you, Hey, Hey dummy, I'm overheating over here. You got to be able to be observant of that. Recognize that, you know, the dog that usually is out in front is now lagging behind. Well, maybe that's a good sign that uh, he or she is, is hurting a little bit and you need to back off. Um, but I love, love, love running with the dog. Definitely something I really enjoy doing. And I hope that you're able to enjoy it with your, with your pup as well. Uh, last question from Anthony is not dog related this time. Uh, when running in a group, is it an unwritten rule to run at the slowest person's pace? Does this normally get discussed before running or does it kind of evolve when you hit the road? Wondering how this has unfolded in your experience. So it depends on the group. Um, usually if it's a big enough group, you know, there's, there's always kind of some people that kind of stick, you know, there's, there's partners and friends and things like that. If there's a new person in the group, um, especially if it's, if it's a somewhat remotely at all tricky course, but I I would say it's, I would say scratch that. If there's a new person in the group, somebody needs to run with a new person. I I don't care how slow they are. If they're wicked fast then whatever, you send them on their way. But if they're, if, if somebody's slower, somebody's lagging behind and they're, it's the first time running in your group, even if your group is tight knit, somebody, and it can rotate through, but somebody needs to drop back and run with that person. A, so that they feel like they're actually part of the group that you appreciate having them. B, so that they don't get lost. C, so that, you know, just everybody's safe. Everybody's staying safe, buddy system type of thing. Um, now, you know, the, the more that you run with the group, if the group kind of stays pretty close knit and there's not a lot of new blood coming in and out, you kind of, everybody knows each other. Everybody's comfortable. Um, you know, in those cases, especially if it's a, a, a proper workout, yeah, the, those, you know, I've, I've been in groups where everybody starts together. We finish together, but in the middle, boy, it really gets pretty strung out and everybody's kind of running by themselves. That's okay. As long as everybody's okay with that and kind of knows what they're getting into. But if it's like a, you know, a, a casual Saturday long run that meets at the coffee shop and there's a couple new people there, um, you know, and, and you're one of the organizers or somebody, you know, is a veteran member of the group. Um, I think it's pretty good form to make sure that somebody sticks with them the first few times, kind of explain some of that stuff. Um, Certainly you're never going to get in trouble for having those conversations beforehand. Like, Hey, anybody new here, you know, can you recognize yourself? Hey, we'd love to have you here. And we want to make sure that somebody can make sure that, that somebody that's, that's a veteran can run, run with you so that you don't get lost can answer your questions, things like that. You know, and then, you know, Hey, who, who, anybody want to volunteer to run with Cheryl over there? Yep. Okay. Cheryl, this is, this is, uh, this is Joan. Y'all meet each other. Uh, enjoy your run together. All right, everybody else let's rock and roll. So, you know, just, just make sure that the communications on the up and up and make sure, you know, safety, things like that. People don't get lost. Uh, that's th- those are the times that, that running, you know, making sure that everybody has a partner is mandatory. Um, but in certain situations, certain groups, those rules start to go out the window, the longer you get to know each other and run with each other and whatnot. So hope all that makes sense. Anthony, thank you for the questions. One, two, three, four, five more to go. Oh, goodness. Starting to lose that voice. But here we go. We're going to power through. Next question comes from Alan. 
I'd like to hear a bit about how performance can be enhanced synergistically if most or all of the important pieces are in place. Sleep, nutrition, stretching, foam rolling, speed training, strength training, and running, uh, and, and having a training plan that works. Whoa, goodness gracious. Come on. Come on. That works for you. I'm sure I might have missed a few, but you get the idea. Also, of those, if you had to pick the first or most important element of what a runner should focus on for success, what would it be? So, um, you know, I mean, when it, when it comes to all of the, the little things that you kind of mentioned there, Alan, uh, and if, if people aren't, if, if you listen to this and you're not sure kind of how to improve some of those areas, disruns.com slash little things is a great place to start free course, check it out. Um, but you know, yeah, all of those things absolutely work together. You know, I mean, I mean, think about it in, in terms of, um, I don't know, like your car, you know, if, if you have wanky spark plugs, but everything else is good. You got a fresh oil change and a clean air filter and the, the radiators capped off and all of the other things are taken care of, but the spark plugs aren't any good. Well, the engine doesn't run very well. And you've got brand new spark plugs, but the oil is 14 years old and it's never been changed. Well, no, the engine's probably not going to run very good. And on and on and on, you know, uh, all of those things that, that need to be adjusted, that need to be replaced, that need to be monitored. If you, if you forget about them, ignore them, eventually they start to become a problem and the engine doesn't run as well as a result. It's the same thing with, with our bodies. Our bodies are a way more complicated engine than your car, but it's the same, same, same logic applies. There's all these different components. There's, there's sleeping and what you fuel with and stretching and foam rolling and and training intelligently and, um, cross training and, and just taking care of your body. And if you neglect some or all of those things, you might be okay for a while, but eventually it, it is likely to catch up to you and your engine's not going to be running at its maximum capacity, at its maximum output. So, you know, taking care of those things and making sure that you're spending some time on the foam roller and spending some time doing some strength training and making sure you get to bed on time and things like that. It's only going to make your running better because it's, it makes the, the engine run more pure, makes the engine run cleaner, cleaner running engine more efficient, more power, all of those things that you're probably looking for as a runner. So it absolutely, you know, impacts your performance to make sure that all those other little things, as I like to call them, are taken care of. So if I had to say, what's the most important one, God, that's a, that's a tough question, you know, because, you know, just like, just like the engine example, if, you know, if the fan belt tears off, um, you know, the whole engine stops. If, if any, if the, if the spark plugs go out, the whole engine stops. If the, if the oil doesn't work anymore and burns up and now your engine seizes up, the whole engine stops. Uh, and it's kind of the same thing with, with your, all of the little things, all the, 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 the items that you mentioned and some that I mentioned as well, Alan. But if I had to pick one gun to my head, which one is the most important? I would say sleep. I would say sleep. It does. Sleep is like the, the, the fountain of youth for our bodies. It, it's so, so many of the processes that are vital to Injury prevention, recovery, getting stronger, getting faster, hormone regulation, dietary regulation, weight loss, like all of the things um, that a lot of people, many of the things that may be your goal can be enhanced by getting good sleep, but getting good quality and good quantity. So, you know, I'm not saying that eight hours is the magic number, but, you know, I'm, I'm probably saying that five and a half is not good enough. So if you're staying up until, you know, whatever... 11, 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night, and then getting up at five o'clock to go run in the morning. Um, find a way to, to extend that out. Find a way to get six, seven, eight plus hours of sleep every night. You might be surprised how much better you feel, how much better you run by maximizing and optimizing your sleep first. All the other things are still important though. So don't, don't hear that by saying all you need to do is, is get the right quality and quantity of sleep. That's, that's just as important a piece of the puzzle as eating well as 
doing some strength training, is doing some recovery stuff with soft tissue, foam rolling, stretching, yoga, all those things, they all work together. So um, I think sleep is maybe the the most common of those that gets uh, overlooked that we don't think is important. I'll sleep when I'm dead. Nah, you'll you'll, you'll die early because you don't sleep, you know, so make sure you get in your sleep and everything else uh, as uh, everything else as well, everything else as well. So hope that helps Alan, but definitely check it out. Disruns.com slash little things. If you uh, haven't done so already four more to go closing in an hour and a half. Goodness gracious from Mr. Short. Would you rather run a 50 K on a treadmill all at once or run one K a day for 50 straight days? Hitting me where it hurts with the treadmill question, eh? Short. Um, in this instance, I'll take death by paper cuts over death by, you know, whatever that is, whatever the, the 50 K all at once equivalent would be. I'll take, I'll take one K a day for the next 50 days. Um, I can jump on that joker and, you know, go to, go to a happy place for five minutes or whatever. It'll take me six minutes or something like that. Four minutes. If I want to push it that day, um, and run my thousand meters really probably even faster than four, well, probably about four minutes if I, if I really wanted to. Um, but I, I can, I can get into a, I can do something. I can, I can queue up Dave Matthews. I can listen to a podcast. I can, I can put something on the iPad. I can do something to get me through, um, a thousand meters a day on the treadmill for, uh, you know, the better part of two months. Um, after doing the treadmill marathon in April, whew, I'm in no rush to be on the treadmill for four five, six, seven hours again. So, um, yeah, I'll take death by paper cuts on this one. Next question from Michaela. Uh, it's, it's, uh, more of a concern than a question. When I keep my heart rate down, I'm walking and for races, I do intervals of running two minutes, running one minute, 30 seconds walk. My fear is running. My running form will be off and I will end up hurting myself more because my body doesn't have, you know, the muscle memory from running. What are your thoughts? Um, if you're in on this heart, whole heart rate training thing, Michaela, um, I would say that it's only a matter of time before you're starting to mix in some running intervals into your, into your walks as well, because your, your aerobic efficiency is improving. You're getting, you're getting stronger aerobically, which means that the walks that, that were, you know, maybe keeping your heart rate in the, the middle to upper part of the, the, the zone that you're trying to be in. Now they're probably low, pretty low in that zone. If you've been walking consistently. Um, so you should be able to see your, your heart rate drop as your pace is staying the same as your walking pace is staying the same. So when that starts to happen, that's a good cue to start running. Now, maybe you're not going to mix into your, your full race intervals of two minutes of run and one, one thirty walk, but maybe, you know, maybe you start doing 30 seconds of running in a minute and 30 walking. And maybe that brings your heart rate back up into that upper, upper level of the appropriate zone. Cause you're not running quite long enough for it to creep up over that zone. And then you get back to your walk, get your nice walk interval. Then you, you bump it back up as you run again. So then you stay there for a while and then pretty soon that 30 seconds is not really bumping your heart rate up very much. So now you're running for a minute and a minute and a half and you, you know where this is going. So, um, I think that, that you've got a, maybe a short-term concern that on the long-term heart rate training path is just a blip on the radar. And if you stick with the heart rate training and not worry about it, um, you're going to be fine. Now in the meantime, in the short term, are you going to be more sore after a race? Cause you're not doing as much running. Yeah, Probably. But it's, you know, I'm assuming that you're not going to do some crazy distance that, that you're doing this, you know, with, with shorter type of, of race distances. Um, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Uh, yes, you're going to be a little bit sore, more sore afterwards, but that's part of the process. That's part of the process. And as long as you keep 
more often than not, building that aerobic engine, building your aerobic base, you're going to be just fine with running then on race day. And like I said, you're going to start mixing in some more running in your training anyway to keep your heart rate where it needs to be, um, which means that you're on you're on track and you're doing you're doing everything right. So um, I think just if, if I'm reading this this question or thought correctly, um, kind of keep on keeping on, keep staying keeping in the, the right heart rate zones, and everything else will start to take care of itself as you pick up more uh, intensity to keep the heart rate the same. So I uh, hope that makes sense for you, Michaela. Uh, thank you for the question. Two more. One from Sherry. I'm practicing with a new fuel for my next marathon uh, on my long runs. And it made me wonder because you run in, because I'm running so much slower in my training than I do on race day. Is it better to go or to time the fuel, um, or to, to, to know when to take the fuel based on the time or by the distance. So basically, you know, should you take a, a fuel, uh, take a gel, take a chew, take whatever every five miles or every 45 minutes or every 30 minutes or whatever, whatever the right ratio is for you. Um, I think that in general, most of those, those, um, recommendations are, are directly or indirectly based on time anyway, Sherry. So, uh, maybe you're looking at two sides of the same coin here. So, you, you know, you might on, on race day, you might take it every, every four miles and, and, you know, that might be every 35 minutes or whatever, every 40 minutes, something like that, whatever it is. Um, but if you're doing four miles on race on, on training days, then that might be, um, you know, an hour by the time you get to the, those four miles, probably exaggerate, but whatever you get, you get my, my drift here. Um, but that's, that's ultimately, I think the the right, I don't know if I'm making any sense. I've been talking too long for this episode, but it, it really does boil down. I think to time because no matter how fast or slow you're running and with, within, within a reason, um, your body can only process so many calories at once. So, you know, you should always be probably keeping that in mind that a, when you take down a gel or a bunch of chews or whatever, it takes about 20 to 30 minutes for those, those calories, that energy to actually get processed and and be able to be utilized. So, you know, you need to be taking fuel before you need it. And then we also need to remember that there's only, there's only so many calories that our body can break down per hour while we're still running. I think the, the loose guideline is 200. Obviously that, that's uh, going to be an average. It's going to be plus or minus. You need to figure out for you. Can you handle a little more? Can you handle, can you not handle quite as many? Um, but you know, so if you're, if you're planning by time, it's easier to make sure that you're giving yourself enough time to, to break down the fuel and use it before you need it. And so that you're not overfueling because then that typically ends up with a situation where your body's like, Nope, we got too much stuff in our stomach out. It comes. And now you're bent over hurling on the side of a course, which that typically doesn't help you reach your race goals. So keeping it by time is, is always going to be the right factor. Um, the reason that we do it, I think by distance more often on race day is just because it's easier to remember that I need to gel at mile four, a gel at mile 10 and another one at mile 18. Um, as opposed to trying to remember, right, I need to take my first one at 45 minutes and my next one at, you know, an hour and 15 and then, you know, like or whatever, whatever the numbers work out to be, uh, it's just a little bit easier to have mile markers that we take them. Cause you know about what your pace is going to be. Cause you're running at race pace, uh, training pace go by time. Uh, but definitely love that you're, you're experimenting now and hopefully you find something that works for you. And then you just kind of translate, you know, the, the time when to take them by time into maybe mile markers on race day, just to make it easier to remember when to take your fuel. 
But I hope all that made sense. Sorry if it was all over the place. That's what happens when I've been talking for an hour and a half here. But last question, finally, last question from Mrs. Short. Melody chimes in and says, when I started running, it was pretty simple. Put on your shoes and go. Now I'm supposed to think about uh, what my body is doing when I'm running. One of the things I'm supposed to focus on right now is specifically thinking about activating my glutes and quads because I've apparently been letting my hamstrings do all the work. I've tried to quote unquote, think about it and quote unquote, make my body do it. But frankly, I don't know how all I'm doing is tensing up when I'm running and that can't be good. I, I can't isolate those muscles and specifically contract them. Is there some voodoo black magic that I'm missing to do sincerely flat, butt. well, flat, butt. Uh, I don't, I don't know if I feel comfortable saying that. Well, Miss Melody, um, you know, I think I think when it comes down to it, this is maybe one of those situations where, yeah, that's what you're supposed to do is figure out how to get your, your quads to fire and your glutes to fire. But the best way to do it is to kind of come in the side door a little bit, kind of sneak, sneak around a little bit. And instead of trying to think about focusing on activating your quads, activating your glutes, it's what can you what can you do that's going to cause the glutes to activate? It's going to cause the quads to activate as well. So, um for the quads, focusing on lifting your feet up a little bit more when you're running, which is, is going to mean that you're bending the knee and lifting from the hip to raise your thigh up just a, just a little bit. We're not, we're not talking about high stepping. We're not talking about marching here. Um, but instead of, you know, just kind of keeping your foot real close to the ground, which is what I'm assuming that you're probably doing. If you, if your quads aren't very active, that means you're, you're probably kind of shuffling your feet more than you're picking up and striding. Focus on picking up and striding. So focus on like, if you were, you know, think about when you're running, if there was a stick on the road in front of you. Um, or maybe you're running down the road and you're, you're getting to the curb and you got to step up over the curb to, to keep going. Don't jump to do that. Don't jump up on the curb. Don't jump over that imaginary stick that's in front of you. Just pick your foot up a little bit. So while you're swinging forward, bend your, bend your knee a little bit, lift from the hip so that your, your foot comes up, you know, kind of maybe closer to the knee height of your other leg. And then Put it down once you get over the, the curb or over the stick and try to keep that as smooth, as flowing as possible. And guess what? Every time you pick your, your leg up from the hip, every time you're, you're lifting that knee up a little bit in front of you to, to, to get your foot off the ground, your quads activating, your hip flexors are ag- activating. You're getting that firing in the front of your quads. So instead of thinking about it, I need to make sure my quad fires. No, just step over, step over something. And it's going to feel a little awkward at first. It's going to feel probably a lot awkward at first, but work on that. And pretty soon it'll be pretty natural to where when you run, you're not scuffing your feet. You're just, you're just picking up, putting down, picking up, putting down and your quads will be thankful because of it. Glutes. You can do the same type of thing, a different motion, but same thing coming through the the side door. How can you get the glutes to fire when you, when you're striding forward, focus on pushing the ground behind you as far back as possible. So if you're, if your leg is straight, and you're pushing behind you, kind of keeping that toe down as you're pushing forward, you're getting extension out of your hip, which means that you're getting your glute to fire. So pushing behind you and then stepping over as the leg swings through, pushing behind you, stepping over, pushing behind you, stepping forward. Guess what? You're now firing your glutes and you're firing your quads. Um, Another suggestion on that is to get them fired up before you start running. So make sure that you're doing a good warm up. Whether that's the lunge matrix, whether that's the Wahoo, uh, the the band exercise that the Wahoo ladies have, have talked about, and there's a link for you, for you, Melody, since you're since you're one of the Diz runners. There's there's links to those things in the sh- in the uh, in the vault. Um, but if you, I'll make sure to have links in the show notes as well for those that aren't uh, working with me. Um, 
but you can go back and, and you can find those things in the show notes where, you know, some, some exercises that you're doing some, whether it's lunges, whether it's whatever, whether it's band exercises, whether it's, it's anything, any type of good warm up that gets the muscles going. Part of the good warm up is obviously to get the blood flow going, but it's also to kind of get the muscles primed and ready to, for action. So if you're struggling to engage your glutes, doing some warm up exercises that engage your glutes is going to make the glutes more likely to engage when you go run. Funny how that all works out, right? So, um, doing those types of things make, can make a huge difference instead of just trying to think, all right, glutes, fire, glutes, fire. Well, that's, that, that ain't, that ain't how it works, but extend back behind, extend, push the ground behind me, push it behind me. Now, all of a sudden you're getting that glute action going and that's just what you want. That's just what you want. So hopefully that helps Melody. Whew. And there we go. There we go. An hour and a half of Q and a in the books, my voice, it's felt better, but it's still holding up. We made it through. Um, Thank you all for making it through as well. Goodness gracious, this is a marathon recording session, a marathon listening session as well. But uh, thank you all for listening. If you haven't done so already, and I'm going to keep reminding you about it, so you know, get, get on it, make it happen. Diz Days of Summer, the virtual race challenge, or virtual challenge, I guess, it's not really a race. Virtual challenge is on the map. It is scheduled. It is going to happen August the 11th through August the 24th. Get signed up sooner the better. Um, and like I said, if you get if we get 100 people, when we get 100 people signed up, um, I'm up in my own ante at that point. And, uh, you know, if we get a hundred people pretty soon, then we'll put another, we'll put another something out there where I'll suffer for your support of the leukemia and lymphoma society. All proceeds going to, uh, to help, help fight the fight against two different types of cancer that, uh, you know, hopefully we can eradicate, uh, sooner rather than later. So thanks for the support. Dizruns.com slash D D O S Delta Delta Oscar Sierra to get signed up for the Diz Days of Summer Virtual Challenge. And if you want to check out the show notes for today, dizruns.com slash 744 is the link that will take you back there. There'll be memes, there'll be gifs, there'll be all the things. There'll be a link to sign up for the uh, the Virtual Challenge as well. And until next time, be well, take care. Thank you guys for all the questions this month. Hopefully they were helpful. Hopefully they were useful. Hopefully you have a great rest of the day. Until next time, take care, guys.